Today's episode was fun. I got to do this in person at the Georgia Healthcare Association. I met with the uh, chief medical officer of ACA, American Healthcare Association, Dr. David Gifford. And while we talked a lot about what his role is there, what his biggest challenge is, we even talked about initiatives that might not have gotten the positive press that they should. We had some fun. I threw some fun personal questions at him to give some insight and highlight who he is as a human being. I learned a lot. I hope you enjoyed this conversation that we had in person and I wanted to repurpose it on here because it was an enjoy. This episode was brought to you by experience.care the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit experience.care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today. Hi there, welcome to LTC Heroes. My name is Peter Murphy-Lewis, I'm your host. I am really excited to be joined today by Dr. David Gifford. He and I both are streaming live from the Georgia Healthcare Association Winter Convention. And if you don't know Dr. David Gifford, you should, because he's a really important person. He is the chief medical officer at American Health Care Association. He just gave a talk, so I'm excited to follow up with that. Dr. David Gifford, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. I guess you and my mom are the two people who think I'm important. <laughs> but you know what? I use that joke as well. So we already have the same weird sense of humor. Right. <laughs> um, my coworker who helps me with the podcast says my mom's the only one who listens to the podcast. <laughs> I'm glad we started off on a good note. Dr. Gifford, why did you come to Georgia Healthcare Association uh, and what were you talking about today? So I came to Georgia because it's great to get out and talk to members and you can do so much with Zooming, but to actually sit down and talk with people and interact with people, that's just, it's nice to do that. Georgia's a great state and they invited me. And what was your topic today that you just exhibited? So most people ask me to talk either about COVID because of my clinical background as a geriatrician, but also then to sort of update what's happening in D.C. that's going to impact them so they can think about how to do some planning uh, for the future. And can you give me a couple of highlights of things that you know after having your ear, ear to the floor, interacting with Georgia members? What are their biggest concerns and how are you talking about that in D.C.? Well, I think their concerns are similar to what I'm hearing everywhere on the country. It's staffing. There just are not enough staff. I think the other is confusion over the regulations because they keep changing. They're new, so no one really knows how they're being enforced. And then there's still just some residual confusion about the virus itself. It's a new virus. And so there's some confusion around questions around that. Is there any optimism, any glass half full in regards to staffing that you can, those of us who aren't as close to DC and as close to policy know what's going, can, is there anything we can be positive about? Well, I think the thing I've noticed throughout my career is that the staff who work in the nursing homes care deeply about their residents and they view their work as providing value. And we know that those are probably the two most important aspects of people coming to work and staying. And what we've heard through the mass resignation is that a lot of people just don't feel that their work was providing value. And so I think that the glass half full is that if we can capitalize on understanding what it means to provide care to elderly in our setting and the fun you can have with the team and the fun you can have with the residents and the family, we will get people to come. The challenge is, is that people have such a negative view of nursing homes that it's hard to overcome that. Indeed. Dr. Gifford, I'm interested in what your day-to-day -day looks like. Next week, like Monday through Friday, what are the percentages of your week look like in terms of regulatory reimbursement, meeting with members, meeting with politicians? Can you give me an idea? As my son used to say when people ask, what does your dad do? He used to say he does email and conference calls. <laughs> I would say I spend probably at least half my time 
working with other team members at HCA on what type of resources and tools can we do to help members? So we're trying to anticipate what do they need? How do we develop it? Whether it's a training, how do we advocate to one of the federal agencies? I don't spend that much time with elected officials. A little bit here and there. A lot of career staff at federal agencies spend a fair amount of time answering questions from members and researching them because it's really hard to research and understand. It's confusing. And three or four of us will sometimes get together on a quick call at work and we'll debate, what does it mean? What does this rule mean? And so if we can't answer it, we then reach out to either experts or to the federal agency to get answers and then provide them to the members. And then clearly, if we're getting questions, we then put together the answers to everyone else. I'd say that's a most of the time, but I'm involved in a couple of specific projects. We have a grant from the CDC on how to develop training for administrators and owners on how to build trust with your staff, because we understand the trust relationship is what's the big driver in adopting the vaccine, but not just that, it's across the board. And so when I hear staff refer to management as they or them, then I know there's always a problem. If it's we and us, that's a good sign. So how do we tackle that? So we're building that. I talked a little bit today about this concept of shift coaches, mm -hmm. of how do you build a culture and staff who watch each other and provide coaching and feedback to each other. So how do you build a framework of see something, say something? So if I see you wearing your mask over your chin or just your mouth, not your nose, how do I tell you to lift it up or get it up in a collegial positive way? Right. And so that's what it's going to take to get out because to battle this virus and any respiratory virus, you need consistent use of these infectious control practices. And it's the inconsistency that gets us in trouble. So how do we address the consistency aspect? I like the nuanced way of you saying things that I hadn't thought of it in that simple in that simple format. I appreciate that. Don't get nervous, but I'm going to ask you a football question. Okay. And the football question is, I should take the time to look this up on Google, but it was a famous linebacker. I'm pretty sure it was from the Giants. He says, Monday, you pay me to be a football player Monday through Saturday. On Sunday, I work for free. What do you do in your job that you love so much? We won't tell whoever, whoever pays you uh, that you would do for free. What's your Sunday football game look like in your week? I love this part of my week. You know, I enjoy working with my colleagues at HCA. And when we sit down to brainstorm a problem, that's fun. When there's a crisis issue that comes up, we rally together and we respond really quickly. And that's a lot of fun. That synergy? And yeah, I'd probably do that for free. You wouldn't do it again from the last two years ago, a different crisis, right? Not the same one we went through. That wasn't fun. This was exhausting. It was really rewarding because I really felt that we were able to provide value to the members. I'm glad you said that because my follow-up question is, what have you learned about yourself uh, after going through this process or going through the pandemic with your team? It's important to take some time for yourself and that you can't push everyone 110% all the time. Mm. You win a marathon by pacing yourself. You don't win the marathon by sprinting the first 100 yards. My next follow-up, and it's close to that, and I want you to remove your humble hat for a moment. What's something that you've done in the last year that you're extremely proud of, that your team knows, your family might know, but not everyone else might know? And you're like, man, I made this decision correctly. I hired this person or empowered this person. We did this well. We communicated this well. What's something you're really proud of that you might haven't shared? I had one idea to develop sort of a temporary training program and went to CMS and said, look, we're going to have staffing shortage. We need lots of bodies in here. You need to sort of figure it out. I had no idea what it would look like. I had no idea how it would happen. And Pam Truscott on our staff at HCA, 
she and Holly Harmon and a few others took the program and just ran with it. And they developed a TNA training program, the Temporary Nurse Assistant Program. And I think we've trained over 350,000 people. I mean, I'm just That's like, amazing. Yeah, I may be off. I mean, it's just, it's an enormous right. number that we've trained because I've not been involved in it since really. Uh-huh. And it requires state by state approvals and it required stuff. I was not involved in any of that, but it was the idea. And it was great to see the thing. It's hard for me to take credit for the final product. Right. The vaccine rollout in the fall of 2020, we worked really closely with CDC to help with that vaccine rollout. And that was the first time I think we were a priority and the effectiveness of that vaccine. So proud about that. And mm. I'd say those are the two biggest accomplishments during the pandemic. That's really neat. Has, in terms of the first one with the training, has it got any positive press to the degree that it deserves? I want to pause real briefly just to thank you for listening to LTC Heroes. I want to tell you what we've been doing in the last couple of months. I was honored to be invited to a couple different conventions with the platform LTC Heroes, one of those being Georgia Healthcare Association, Missouri Healthcare Association, and also HIMSS 22. And what we've been doing there, we've been interviewing executives like yourselves about the tools and success that they have had in their organizations and trying to build those out into tools that would be helpful for the entire industry. So I would encourage you to go over to ltcheroes.com forward slash community. Join our private community where we are building these conversations out into tools that everyone else could use. If you go to a local convention in your state or at the national level that you think OTC Heroes could collaborate with and highlight what you all are doing, please reach out to me at peter at LTC Heroes. Once again, thanks for listening, participating, and join us in the community. No, it's actually gotten negative press because some of the advocates and others have complained that we're hiring less qualified, less trained individuals. Mm. And, you know, the point I tried to make to CMS was, look, when we have people getting sick with COVID and testing with positive COVID, it was obvious before the pandemic that we were going to see shortages of staff. Mm -hmm. We can't just suddenly transfer our residents everywhere. You can't take care of people with ratios of 20 to 1, though. Early on, we did a survey for our well, remain nameless. One governor wanted to understand what was going on, and we surveyed some facilities early in the pandemic. And the numbers were staggering. There's one facility where the administrator, DON, and a medical director all had died, and they had no leadership. There were many places that had no DON. They had died from COVID. They were running staffing ratios 20, 30 to 1. They just, and the fact that the staff were coming in, it's not because staff ran away. They were all out sick mm. and they couldn't come in. And those numbers, I knew it was bad, but they were staggering. Mm. And that really made it realize how utterly terrible it was. Even though it was our numbers and you were hearing some of the s- stories on the news, that's when we knew things were really bad. I became a CNA in Kansas in November 2021, and I felt that. And I asked the person that I was shadowing, I said, this ratio doesn't seem real. I don't know how we're doing this. I mean, we have the heart, we're running, we're exhausted at the end of the day. I said, how do you do this? And he said, Peter, this is the new normal. Well, it may be the normal during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all sort of step up, you know, during a hurricane or, you know, a crisis and do what we need to do. And it's all hands on deck. You can't do that forever. Mm-hmm. And there will be burnout. And I think we're seeing that consequence. We need to come out of that. 
I think probably the most frustrating thing during the pandemic was the lack of prioritization that we were given mm. and the lack of respect we were given by state and federal officials. We were just last, we were on our own. We didn't get PPE. We didn't get testing supplies. It wasn't until the vaccine that we were really a priority and look how well that worked. And then they're just going back to it again now with the treatments and everything else. That's been really frustrating. And I feel the same with staffing. And the question is, everyone knows that we need more staff, but I don't see the feds in the state stepping up and figuring out how to do it. If anything, they're making it harder to do that. They make it hard to maintain and run training programs. You know, if you get a certain number of deficiencies, you get a two-year ban on running your CNA training program. That's devastating. And so if you want to bring people in, why not do that? The federal government prioritizes rural health and healthcare shortages and primary care by doing loan forgiveness to doctors and nurses who go work in those areas. Mm -hmm. We have a huge shortage more than anywhere else. Why aren't they doing the same for us? And we're lobbying for that. Mm. So to me, that's been the most disappointing thing. Yeah. Well, I do a lot of a lot of written content. So I'm going to when we turn off record, I'm going to ask you for information on the two items that need more coverage. And I promise I'll do a longer article and push this out. Dr. Given, a lot of people know you for the public figure you are for our organization and for what you do in our industry. So I want to transition a little bit into getting to know you as a person. And don't worry, I'm not going to shock you with anything. Let's start off with the first a rapid fire question. What are one of three books that have greatly influenced your life? For work, Leadership on the Line was a great book. That was helpful. There's a book chapter in a book I reviewed for work, Medical Errors, called Death by Decimal. I just love the title. Of it that. is a good title. It's a great title. Yeah. And I guess we'll stop there. Okay. I've got a fun one for you. What non existent job do you wish existed in our industry? I've been trying to really push this concept and I like this. I think it would work. It's a little bit a takeoff on the greenhouse model with the Mm -hmm. Shabazines, Mm -hmm. which I love that model. I I interviewed Dr. Bill Thomas. Yeah, I love that model. What I would call a hallway ambassador. Okay. Where the individual walks the hallway and responds to needs that are happening, either with residents, staff, or family. Uh And so if you look at most of the call lights and most of the requests for help by residents, they don't require a CNA or mm-hmm. RN. They just require a nice, compassionate person. Mm-hmm. Family members visiting just sort of want to know what's going on or have some quick questions you got there. Two residents who are interacting inappropriately, you can separate together. Mm-hmm. A housekeeper who's in a room who's gowned and doffed, forgets something at the cart, just needs something handed into them so they don't come out of the room and have to read down. So this would be a job. It's a great entry job. It can then go to a CNA. It could go to other trainings. And you don't need license. You don't need certification for it. Be a high schooler on a Tuesday afternoon. Well, as a CNA, how much free time would that free up for you? A lot. Right. And and how much would you rely on that? And how much would it improve the satisfaction of the residents' lives? That would be a job top. Now, we have certain ones like called universal healthcare workers, and we have other things. But when I really dig into it, those are more like the Shabazines Mm -hmm. and more like, you know, CNAs who are doing med tech and feeding assistance, all certification level jobs. I think we forget how much work we do doesn't require a certification. Hmm. Oh, I love it. Hallway ambassador. I would apply for that. Next one that I want to ask you is, what is your most strongly held belief? One would be treat other people like you want to be treated yourself. Mm -hmm. What do other people need right now? 
So this is now more at work because if you need it, other people need it. Then I now, because I've been in positions of how to support other people, then these are the resources we need to develop. And then I'd last say is probably the saying, which is all the outcomes and results you have are due to the perfectly designed system to achieve those results. So if you're having errors, you have a system designed to achieve errors. I like it. I think that that's a good segue into a bigger public facing question related to that. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions or even billions of people, what would it say and why? Read to your kids. <laughs> that was a good one. I think at a really early age, I think learning to read and write is critical to be successful in society. The bonding that occurs between the parents and the kids through that reading is really key and you just can't start early enough. And I think if we did it for a while, it would help solve a lot of the problems we have. Great. I'm almost wrapping up. I've got name a person who inspires you the most. And if you don't want to pick one, give me two or three that come to your mind. And just coming out, Olympic athletes inspire me. Mm. They're so dedicated to their sport and the training and they put it all out there. And, you know, when they finish the race, they just collapse in exhaustion. They've just given it their all and they're doing it for their country. Those things just sort of really always make me inspired. I've got a Netflix documentary for you and I might get the title wrong, but you'll see it next time. I think it's called 14 Peaks. It's about the guy who climbed the 14 tallest peaks in less than four months. You'll like it if you like Olympic stories. And I guess just lastly, thank you so much and recommend the audience to go check out what we're doing at LTC Heroes. Go over to ltcheroes.com forward slash community to see the tools, tips, KPIs, and free downloadables that we have. As I mentioned, I'll be taking Dr. Gifford's information of things that need to be pushed out there, and I'll include that in the community as well. Thank you so much for joining me on the live stream, Dr. Gifford. It was fabulous. Good to know, you know what you're doing in D.C., but also get to know you as a person. Nice to meet you too, Peter. Thank you all. Visit ltcheroes.com to join our Facebook group for nurses and our exclusive LinkedIn group for LTC owners. Visit ltcheroes.com for your exclusive access today. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit experience.care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today.